This is Game Day Media. For all the latest in education and political news from around the state of Texas, visit my friends at TexasISD.com. The staff at TexasISD.com updates their site each morning with articles, commentary, and news from all over our state. If you have one site to bookmark and visit every day, it should be TexasISD.com. The crossroads of education and legislation. You're listening to Largent Unfiltered with Dr. Jim Largent. I know that 2020 has been a crazy year, but if you have projects that are undone that you need to try to get finished before school starts and athletics picks up or bleachers or backstops, things like that that you need to get taken care of, send me a message and I'll have our folks from Markco Manufacturing get out and look at your project, give you some pricing, and let you know what they can do to help you get ready for this next school year. Markco is a Texas-based company. They do great work. They're a growing company, great service, great pricing, and I think you'll be glad that you did business with them. So give me a call if we can help, and we will get you back on track to try to end 2020 on a positive note. All right, I want to welcome all of you back to the podcast this week. Pleased to have Dr. Glenn Rogers with us this week. Glenn is a candidate for House District 60 state representative. And uh, welcome, Dr. Rogers. We appreciate you being here today. Well, thanks for asking me, Jim. It's great to be here. If you would first kind of give us an introduction of yourself and why you are running for this seat and uh, let our listeners know uh, a little bit about you. Well, Jim, I think my core beliefs and my career experiences and some leadership experiences have qualified me to serve in this district. I'm a veterinarian and rancher in Palo Pinto County. My family's been ranching there since the 1890s, and I've been operating a ranch for over 40 years. My wife, Mandy's also a veterinarian, and uh, I have four children and five grandchildren. My oldest daughter is, a, is an MD. She's an infectious disease specialist, so I get all my COVID information from right. her. And uh, and then her husband's an orthopedic surgeon. And then I have a daughter that's an attorney out in California. And she works for the Department of Education for the state of California and actually works mostly with charter school issues there in California. So she's been a good one to uh, bounce some public education issues off of. Right. I will say that my number two daughter, although I love her dearly, she, she and I don't talk politics much. I can tell you that. <laughs> um, and then my number three uh, child is my son, Ben. He just graduated from Texas A&M a few weeks ago. He majored in genetics and minored in business. And uh, due to COVID, he had to cancel some of his interviews and that kind of thing. The good news is he's working full-time for my campaign until July 14th. <clears throat> so that's one of the blessings uh, that I've gotten from from COVID is just being able to spend more time with my son. Right. And then I have a daughter who is six, just turned 16 and will be uh, beginning her junior year. Uh, she's a pole vaulter and, and uh, really wants, wants to pole vault in college, and she'd love to go to Texas A&M if, if she can get there. My educational background, I had my degrees from Texas A&M, Kansas State, owned and operated a rural veterinary practice for 11 years, 
And then I spent nine years as a university educator where I was a, a tenured associate professor. And then I spent 12 years as a consultant in the animal health business. And I think those three careers specifically helped prepare me for this as, as a, as a private practitioner, I learned to work for the public literally 24-7, and I learned to run small businesses. And then as an educator, I, I learned to teach, and I learned to do research. And then as uh, in the uh, corporate world, I learned to take the needs of rural Texas to a boardroom of people that were very smart but didn't really understand some of the needs of, of rural Texas. My experience in ranching, if I was going to define it with one word, it would be resiliency and uh, just learning to get through drought, market swings, and all the things, disease, all the things we deal with in running ranches. And I, and I think that's, that, that'll play well as we go to Austin and try to recover from this, uh, this COVID pandemic and try to uh, get our economy going again. I've been fortunate to serve in some leadership positions. Uh, I'm not a politician. This will be my very first race other than my time on school board. But I have served in some leadership positions at the local, state, and national level as well as my church. And uh, recently I was president of a national veterinary organization representing over 5,000 cow doctors. And it was actually through this experience, several trips to Washington, D.C., that convinced me that I wanted to serve and defend rural Texas. And I think there's no better way to do that than to support our public schools. I am a proud product of the Texas public school system. I graduated from Graham High School, and my mother taught American history there for about 20 years. And as I mentioned earlier, I did serve on the Grayford School Board back in the late 80s and early 90s when I was in practice there. Just from a, from a public education standpoint, I've been endorsed by the TSTA and Texas Parent Pack and supported by the ATPE and the class, Texas Classroom Teachers Association. I know some of you in the audience may not be Republicans, but I, I am a conservative Republican. I'm proud of that. But I'm also a conservative Republican that supports public education, and I'm proud of that as well. When I'm elected, I'll, I'll stand strong in my conservative values, and I can guarantee I won't be a puppet for a few billionaires. I'll represent each of you. Well, good. I think you know, with your time on the school board, you know how important... The state representatives are because they are the people, the state representatives and senators, they are the people who pass laws that directly affect the classroom, the curriculum, the pay, the funding, the, the benefits. I mean, all of those things come through the state house. And so it's, it's imperative for educators that we have uh, representatives who are ready to stand up and support public education. So I appreciate what you said. I, I like the fact that you have those experiences, not only as a board member, but as an educator yourself. And I, you know, I said many times, we need more rural representation in Texas. It seems like most of our representation has kind of gone to the I-35 corridors and the suburbs and, and uh, we seem to be getting away from as much rural representation. So I'm glad to see someone who has uh, spent their entire life basically in rural education, so or rural Texas, so you can represent us there. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about some of the issues when you really dig into education and, and things that educators are really looking uh, for their candidates to have a statement about. And, and the first one is vouchers. And, and for those of you listening who don't know vouchers, it's basically taking your taxpayer dollars and funding private education. So 
there, there seems to be a fight every session about vouchers, and we're trying to divert taxpayer dollars in some scheme. We, we call it loans, or we call it uh, scholarships, or we call it a achievement award, or we call it something, but it really comes back to it's using taxpayer dollars to fund private education. So I'd like to know what your thoughts are about that. Well, first of all, I think parents should always have the ability to educate their children in various ways, uh, sure. be it be it private school, homeschool, or public school. But in Texas, as in most states, about 90% of our students are educated in public schools, and uh, our Texas Constitution requires us to, f- to fully fund public schools. I've had friends that have homeschooled their children and done an outstanding job. One in particular uh, is a friend of mine, and uh, all three of his kids were National Merit Scholars and went to Texas A&M. There's times when it's appropriate, but for sure. the most part, we need to focus on public education. And to take money from public schools to go into private schools or home schools is just not acceptable. It's not something that we can do. It would be devastating, particularly to rural, rural public schools, probably even more than the urban schools. So I'm totally against vouchers or or whatever synonym you want to use for vouchers, I'm against right. that, and we'll, we'll uh, strongly be against that when I'm elected. Well, I know a lot of educators out there are glad to hear that, and, and it's something that, uh, unfortunately, we have to fight every session, and so we appreciate your stance on that. What about uh, funding schools? And I know uh, if you look at statistics, we're between 44 and 48 in the nation in per student funding for our public schools. And we also know, I think educators realize that with uh, the start of 2020, we're in a crazy year, maybe one of the craziest our country's ever seen. And and it's been devastating to the economy in our country and, it's, and, and in Texas. Uh, but what would you like to say about funding schools and how you will step up and, and, and try to help fund schools appropriately and see what we can do to at least move that, uh, move that ranking up a little bit. Well, certainly uh, as a Texan, you never want to be 46th out of 50. That's not, that's not what we do in Texas and we need to improve that. I want to go to Austin and protect the increased funding that was passed last session. And as I mentioned earlier, the Texas constitution is clear on our responsibility to, protect and fund our public schools and and all texas citizens regardless of zip code deserve that education opportunity i think that most educators could understand that we had a pretty good session last time actually when it comes to funding we did infuse a little more money into public ed i don't think we got to where we wanted to be but i also think that educators are smart enough to know that with this current pandemic and and the economic trouble that we're going to through we we really should not expect another big infusion of of dollars because i think the entire state is going to probably looking at at ways to to uh save money but i i think that most of us would like to at least hear you say that, and I think you did say, you're going to do everything you can to protect those gains that we made and make sure we don't go backwards. That's exactly right. We'll, we'll, uh, we just have to fight for that. I know I've seen that the governor and, and lieutenant governor and, uh, have already indicated that, that there will be cross-the-board budget cuts to all the agencies in the state. I believe I've seen 5%. Some have talked about even higher. But I, but I think we have to do whatever we can to preserve 
uh, funding to public education, there there should be some some fluff that could be cut in some other agencies before anything is done uh, to public schools. So, again, I'll do everything I can to protect what we gained in the last legis legislative session. I, I, I wouldn't want to be overly optimistic and say we're going to have, we're going to be able to inc increase this session because uh, just the realities of, of our COVID response sure. is, is, is there. But, but I, I will fight to make sure we don't lose what we, what we gained in the 86th session. So let's talk, switch gears a little bit and talk about testing. And I know that it seems <clears throat> like the Texas Education Agency has almost gotten to the point where they base everything on testing and and we're trying to decide if third graders are college and career ready and we're we're researchers have found that we're writing third grade tests on fifth grade levels and the the test probably does not uh, really monitor what it should and and there are a lot of us and I use us because I'm one of them a lot of us have called for uh, the elimination of this you know, millions and millions of dollars that we're spending on our state test. And that's not to say we don't agree in accountability because we do, but we do think that there's, if we're going to use a test, it should be diagnostic in nature. It should be something that helps children and helps teachers know where the kids are so they can help them become better educated. But at the same time, it's not used as a, as a uh, stick to beat up schools and compare schools against each other and have that competition on this neighborhood school is better than this other neighborhood school. And so I know, I know I said a lot there, but just kind of what are your thoughts on testing per se and, and what, what ideas might you have about that? Well, when elected, I will make it a point to continuously listen to not only administrators, superintendents, principals, but but teachers and, and everyone associated with education of students and and listen to, to their thoughts on the laws that are there and, and what we need to do to change what's out there. And, and, and as I've gone around the district and I've, I've met, there's about 32 school districts in District 60, and I've met with almost every superintendent, and I, I will get to every one, but I have yet to find an educator that likes the star test. And uh, there's some that are extremely frustrated with what it's done to their ability to, to just teach. Teachers want to teach. Yeah. And when you have to teach to a test, I think it's demoralizing to some of our teachers. I think it, it, it causes angst to students as young as third grade. They shouldn't have those kind of worries put on put on them at that early age and we don't need to have a system that that could result in in categorization of students or stigmas put on them at that early age so so i'm i personally feel like we need to just totally eliminate the star test i, I think uh, as jim mentioned i i certainly favor accountability but i don't believe the star test is getting it done it's it's causing a, a lot of problems in our schools I know also situations where teachers are actually teaching different courses that don't require a star test just because they want to be able to teach that course without having that requirement. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, good. I'm glad to hear you say that, and, and I know a lot of my listeners will be glad to hear you say that as well. Let's talk a little bit about TRS, Teacher Retirement System. And there, it seems like recently there have been calls for making uh, the TRS system more of a uh, – 
privately owned or privately managed system. And what people may not know is that the TRS system is one of the best run and most stable pension plans in the world. It's like number three or four in the world. And so, as you might imagine, a lot of retired teachers and a lot of people who are nearing retirement are very interested in that fund remaining stable. And uh, so what thoughts might you have about that? When I first started looking at this issue, I based it on my experiences in the corporate world when I had a uh, had a retirement plan. And I, I just assumed that that would be the best way to go for teachers also, that there was a chance to make more money, essentially, than they could in the defined benefit plan. But as I explored it more and I talked to teachers, which, as I mentioned earlier, I plan to continue to do, I, I found that, that every single teacher I talked to wanted to maintain that defined benefit plan. And as I looked in it, like Jim has pointed out, it's a good system. It's dependable. And I, I strongly favor continuation of the teacher defined benefit plan, and I will, will fight to make sure that, that that stays in place and that it's not replaced with a different type plan. Any other education issues that you want to bring up at this point that we haven't touched on or something you want to talk about re regarding public education? I want to make sure that the TRS pension plan is brought to actuarial soundness and that we can keep it there. Uh, Senate Bill 12 uh, that was passed the last legislative session, committed the state to over a billion dollars to boost that pension fund. And we need to uh, make sure that we move forward and stay committed to that. I think there's a commitment to go all the way to eight and a quarter percent by 2025 to keep the fund in a sound position. And I'm committed to make that a priority. I know we there was a 13th check issued, and that's great, but that needs to be permanent we need we need a cost of living increase um, absolutely and uh, i wholeheartedly support that because i know that many of the trs uh, uh, recipients of the annuities have not received a pension increase since they retired yeah and that's a great point that's something i didn't bring up but this cost of living adjustment is something that the pension plan desperately needs and and you know you have teachers who have been retired for uh, 20 or 30 years they're up in their 80s and 90s and they're still getting the same pension they were getting back in you know 1970 and obviously the cost of living uh, is much much higher than it was when they retired so we would appreciate anything you could do to certainly look at that issue and, and try to help with that I guess it goes without saying that we need to discuss that you are running against John Francis, Mr. Francis, and, and I'll say this. I don't know how much you want to say about this, but I'll say this. John Francis is is uh, funded entirely by Empower Texans. Most of us in public education know Empower Texans. We have received their propaganda. We have seen them attack uh, our friends and colleagues and uh, anyone who doesn't agree with them on 100% of what they're trying to do. I don't know if you want to say any more about your opponent or about why you're running against him, but I'll give you this opportunity to do that if you want to. <laughs> well, I, I think it's really simple. If you want to elect someone that is beholden to a small group of individuals with a narrow agenda, or if you want to vote for somebody that would represent the entire district, I don't think there's ever been a clearer choice between two candidates than there are between myself and John Francis. They've argued that that I'm the choice of the Austin lobby, and they've, they've made a big deal about that I take PAC money. 
you know, John Francis has managed one of the largest PACs in Texas and has basically uh, spent a good bit of his career as a politician in managing PACs, and yet he indicates that I'm sold out to the Austin lobby. Well, it's interesting who he's talking about. Who is he talking about? He's talking about people like the like the Texas Farm Bureau Ag Fund. Uh, the Texas Farm Bureau Ag Fund is the, the largest contributor I have. Uh, they're made up of small farmers and ranchers across Texas. Other organizations like the teacher groups, uh, as I mentioned earlier, TSTA and Parent Pack. They're those are. In fact, I think the I think the Parent Pack is all a voluntary organization. I don't think they even have anybody on staff. Right. So so it's very very deceptive to label me as sold out to Austin and PACs. Um, uh, so, I, you know, I'm selective on which pack I'm going right. to accept money from. I, but uh, Texas Veterinary Medical Association, another one, I'm very proud to have their support. I'm proud to have the support of all the ag groups, the educator groups, business-focused groups, uh, all um, working hard to to improve the quality of life of Texans. And And I don't know that it would be possible for anybody to run for office and say they're not accepting anything from these organizations unless you have billionaire in-laws and then yeah. you can do that i don't have that option yeah when you can get one guy to write a check for three quarters of a million dollars you can say that you're not going to accept a lot of pack money so anyway i wanted to give you that opportunity so our listeners need to know that uh john francis is uh dr rogers opponent he is funded virtually entirely by Empowered Texans. And if you need to know more about that group, you can uh, probably just ask anyone who follows politics and they can fill you in on on the uh, the stance that those folks take on a regular basis around our state. Dr. Rogers, if you want to make a closing statement and, and uh, ask us for your vote, I guess, <laughs> at this point. Yeah, thank you, Jim. And I, let me say this, too. I, I do want to say uh, House District 60 is... Uh, the eight counties that are generally west of Fort Worth. Right. So if you have if you have people in that area, those of you listening, it is imperative that you get this message out to them. Make sure that they know about this race. Make sure that they know about the candidates in this race. <clears throat> and most importantly, most of you have heard me repeat this time and time again. Guys, we have got to vote. This is uh, this is a runoff election in the middle of summer in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of nation in crisis. And I am very concerned that this is going to be a very, very low turnout race. We need to make sure that those who turn out are, are pro-public education, and, and all of you need to make sure that you get to the polls and you take 10 people with you. That's the only way uh, this race can be won, because I promise you the, uh, the extremists are going to be voting on both sides so if you if you really want change in austin and you really want support for public education we can make all the social media posts and send out all the emails we can but the only way to really make that change is by voting so with that i'll let you give a closing statement dr rogers well amen amen to that um i'm assuming most of you listening are pro public education and if those that are pro-public education vote beginning June 29th at early voting or voting day on July 14th, if you vote, we'll win this election. If you don't vote, we won't win this election. And I think it's vital for public education in Texas 
that you get out and vote, as Jim said. And, and people keep telling me that uh, retired teachers have a really high percentage of voting, but sometimes active educators don't vote as much as you would think they do, or people that are not just educators, but people that really are pro-public education. And I can tell you that that will decide this race. And, I, I'm, and I'm counting on you to vote, and I would love for any of you that are listening that I have not met to, to give me the opportunity to meet with you. I would, I would love to talk with you individually, as many of you as I can, uh, between now and the election. And I really appreciate your support and, uh, and your prayers. And, uh, I, Jim, I appreciate the opportunity to, to get to address this group. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Rogers, we appreciate uh, you taking the time off the campaign trail to come in and visit with us today about education issues. I know it's an important uh, topic for all of my listeners. It's an important topic for the entire state of Texas. And uh, we wish you well on your run and, and uh, keep up the good fight. And on July 14th, hopefully we'll have a, a great uh, election result and, and we can go to work. If you like our show, I hope you'll subscribe and then share this with your friends and colleagues. You can also check out my website at largentconsulting.org. I'm on Twitter at Dr. Jim Largent and Facebook at Largent Consulting LLC. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.